as a whole. Um, just, I kind of gave a warning last week, and warning is not the right word, but um, as we are getting ready for August, everyone knows if you spent any amount of time in Dahlonega that everything changes when students come back, and our church is the exact same. Um, so now we get to meet in this room because during summertime, people travel and students are here. Um, but starting in August, we're going to go ahead and move back to the gym, which is just right over there. So if you're new, if you're getting involved with us over the summer, this is not what a typical school year looks like. Uh, it's it's going to get a little crazy, but that's why we exist. We're here not only for the families and the locals of Dahlonega, but also the college students um, because they need the gospel as well. So uh, begin praying, begin considering how best you can serve college students as they get back. Um, I know if you if you have any experience going to college, um, it can be a very scary time. I, I went to Georgia Southern, uh, so that was a Statesboro is a whole nother. You know, you're from Statesboro. It's it's just yeah. Uh, that's where banjos are, not Dahlonega. But. So uh, just be praying, considering uh, how you can get involved when students come back. And I know move-in is our favorite thing that we get to do every year. Um, yes, so go ahead and start limbering up, getting stretches. Uh, I joked around last week, but I'm not joking. Go buy a mini-fridge and just start squatting that mini-fridge because um, you will carry probably 60 of those upstairs. So if you love Jesus, you'll do that. If you don't, then <laughs> you don't have to come. Um, so be praying for that. Seriously, I mean, we, we want to love and encourage and, and support those students well. So uh, just be praying and considering as they're getting ready to move up here, how we can serve them best. So we're in this summer series. We've been preaching through the book of Luke for about three years. We're in this summer series trying to answer one question. Uh, who is God? Now, that question is massive. It has so many implications. Um, but, but straight off the bat, we have to say that we can't adequately answer that question. Uh, all we have is scripture, and we can do our best from what we know from scripture, um, but how can humans express something that is unexpressible uh, is beyond us. So we're looking to scripture to try to answer this question, and even though we can't do it fully, we can do it truly. So we can say true to the character and nature of who God is through the text. So we've been looking at different attributes um, over the summer, and here we land in, in maybe a, a more controversial one, so um, let's have fun. When I was 16, um, Bree and I are uh, high school sweethearts, when I was 16, I got a phone call from my now mother-in-law, and all I could hear on the phone was breathing, nostrally breathing. And it was I mean, still to the day, I get chills thinking about it. I had done something really dumb. Um, this was before text messages and all that stuff. I had written down in a note and slid it in her locker what I had done. And her uh, lovely mother had found that note and read it. And then I got the phone call. And for it, it felt like three years. All I heard was breathing. And then she said, I don't even want to repeat it. I'm going to stop right here because I will. Uh, gosh, it was terrifying. Uh, so when we look at this morning what the wrath of God is, that word wrath literally means in the Hebrew that nostril breathing of anger. And I was the recipient of wrath that day. I immediately got a phone call Bree and said, hey, we got to break up. I'm never going to face your mom again. Like that is it. Uh, I did and she loves me now. But it took a long time. So when we look at this idea of wrath, which is an unpopular thing for us, um, it is literally the nostril breathing anger of God. And this is for a bunch of different reasons that we're going to get into, an unpopular topic to preach about. And here's just, here's some things that I mean. Um, back in 2013, a mainline denomination uh, cut out a song from the hymnals that we're going to sing after this called In Christ Alone. 
And the main reason they cut that song out, they said, we cannot sing this song is because the phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied. So they said, we're, we're going to stop teaching about wrath. We're going to stop singing about wrath. God does not have wrath. That is not in his character. If, if we keep going, we keep finding experiences of this. In 1937, a theologian all the way in 1937 said this, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through uh, menstruations of a Christ without a cross. So if we look at this, this is 1937, this guy going, this is what's going to happen in liberal theology, that there's no way that a God has wrath. And D.A. Carson defines wrath this way. The wrath of God is not God losing his temper. It is his chosen, willed reaction to a holy God, to, to a rebellious people. The result is right judgment of God. The result is right judgment of God. So it's not God losing his temper. When we talk about God's wrath, it's not like us. When we are angry, typically it's because we've lost our temper. We have sinned, we're going off the handle. But God's wrath is not, it is a right judgment of God. So what we're going to see this morning is what wrath looks like. And here's where it starts. Um, I mentioned last Sunday that Bree had a family friend that was about to pass away. He did pass away. We were at the funeral Wednesday. And there's the country preachers there that, that were making the plea, I hope everyone gets saved before they leave this place. I hope everyone's saved before we leave this place. And just that, okay, saved from what? And we can, we, as, as quick as we can say our Chick-fil-A order, we can say Jesus saved us from our sins. We know that. We've grown up in the South. That's just common vernacular for all of us. Jesus Christ died on the cross, saved us from our sins. That sounds great. But what are the consequences of our sins? Because Romans 6 is clear for the wages of sins is death. That is wrath. That is rightful wrath coming towards us because of our willful rebellion against the loving God. But if we're not careful, we don't talk about that enough. And, and I think I, there's a couple different reasons why. I think one of it is, and, and this might have been your experience, that's all some churches talk about. That's, that's every bit of it. You come to a Sunday sermon, and all you're going to hear is hell, brimstone, fire. So there's a natural knee-jerk reaction to go, that's the church I grew up in, but I don't want to be a part of that church. So I'm going to swing all the way over here that a loving God can't have wrath. But then the other side of it is just culture and what it's doing, how it's trying to redefine love. That's an amen, brother. I'm preaching. Let's go. Right? So it's a redefinition of love, that, that there can be no anger within love. And we're going to see that's just not true, even in our own. If you have kids, you understand that there's righteous anger within love. If someone tries to harm my kids, I'm going to harm you. I will gladly lay down this pasture and go spend time in jail if someone tries to harm my kids. So can there be wrath and love in the same thing? Yes. So Romans 1 is where we're going to pick it up because I want to try to find that balance. I don't want to be all the way over here that God is wrathful and there's nothing else, but I also don't want to be over here that God is love and there's nothing else. I want to land right where Scripture lands, which is in the middle. That is there wrath? Yes, but it's out of his nature. It's out of his character of love. So we're going to pick it up in Romans chapter 1. We're going to read 18 through 26 together as we try to determine the wrath of God. Romans 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world, and the things have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, for they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Skip down to verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So as we begin this, let's spend a moment in prayer. And Father, we want to know you. We want to know the whole you. We don't want to worship a God that we've created in our imagination, in our mind, Father. But we're coming to scripture this morning, looking to who you actually are. And Father, as we see in Romans, as we see all through scripture, Father, you have a wrathful side. So God, instead of trying to ignore that, Father, we're going to study it, we're going to press into it, and uh, would you speak to us this morning? Would you help us to understand uh, what it is, how it is, why this side of you exists, Father, and would that lead us to more worship and honor and praise of you, our most glorious King? Jesus, thank you for this time together. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we see here, we just have to straight out the gate, this is Romans chapter 1, right? So Paul starts this letter with wrath. That's that's how he begins this thing. So this isn't something, it's this idea that's hidden deep into the scripture that we had to carve out, we had to mine out so that we could preach on this so that we can be fear mongers and that everyone's going to go to heaven because I'm going to preach all nothing but wrath. No, Paul clearly starts this letter. And if you look at any of the Pauline epistles, this is typically the order. He's going to start off with your sin and God's wrath. And this is where he starts. And we have to see that, I mean, the first most obvious thing that we can understand from this is that God's wrath is deserved. Hop back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So when we look at God's wrath, the first thing we have to see is that it's deserved for us. That God's not up there just drawing straws. He's not like that ant in the magnifying glass just trying to burn some people just for fun. That the wrath of God for us is deserved because of our unrighteousness, our uncleanliness. It's cleanliness? Is that a word? Unclean. Thanks, Davis. Uncleanness. Right, So Romans 1 keeps going to say that verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, and they are without excuse. So when we press into the idea of God's wrath, the first thing we have to do is look at ourselves. Is this deserving of us? And this is where um, I think culture really splits because there's two options, right? We're either a bad person that sins or we're a good person that occasionally sins. 
oh, I'm overall a good guy. We have a phrase that might haunt some of you and might encourage some of you at our house, but my wife constantly says, uh, how are you a pastor? Right? Because there's sin in me that comes up so much so that it's a common, how are you even a pastor? But we see this all through the New Testament. What does Paul say? That I'm the chief among sinners, that I have a thorn in the flesh, that, that I am a sinner above everything else. So we have to understand first and foremost that God's wrath is deserved for us because we are the unrighteous that Paul is writing about. There's nothing inherently good in us. And in a world that's, that's trending to, uh, not trying to like, but participation trophies and, and all of that, that everyone's good, you just, you just do you. Your truth is your truth. Don't worry about anyone else. You're all about yourself. Well, then if that's the truth, then there's no relativism or there's all relativism to truth. Truth is what I say it is, so I am a good person, therefore there's no wrath for me. But scripture is very clear that we are all without excuse because we choose to worship the creature rather than the creator. And if we are sinful human beings, then how could a just God not have wrath for us? I mean, if you've turned on the news, I mean, it's been heartbreaking what's happening in Hall County with that sheriff that lost his life. Now, what if we got home today and we turned on the news and we see that the judge decided to let this guy go? It's fine. We're going we're gonna to forget about it. Do you know the riots that would take place over that act of injustice? But when we talk about God's wrath, we don't, we don't want to deserve it. Like, could you just make it go somewhere else? What we're asking of God, what we're claiming of God is, God, just be unjust just for me. Make an exception for me. That although I know I have sinned, Make an exception for me. You don't have to be just towards me. You can be just to everyone else, but your wrath doesn't have to come to me. We're asking God to be unjust. Romans 2, 5 puts it this way. But because of your hard heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself one day, on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. J.I. Packer puts it this way. God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, moral, ignoble thing that human anger often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to the objective moral evil. So we deserve wrath because we sin. And I'm not trying to beat us up and there's, there's hope in this, but the reality is, we are all sinners. The one thing, the one thing that holds all of us together is our sin. I don't know your station in life. I don't know anything about some of you. But the one thing that holds all of us together is that we are sinners before an all-perfect, righteous God. If we stood before him right now, what would we say are our good deeds? What, could, what case could be made to let us into heaven? There's not. There's not. But I think the other side, when we talk about God's wrath, and I think society as a whole, well, it can't be that bad. Like, I'm going to live my life today for me because God's wrath couldn't be that bad. It should not be feared. Romans 3.23, God's wrath is to be feared because all have sinned and fallen short. Romans 5.1, God's wrath is to be feared because we are justly condemned sinners apart from Christ. Jeremiah, God's wrath is to be feared because he is powerful enough to do what he promises. In Matthew 25, God's wrath is to be feared because God promises eternal punishment apart from Christ. So when the first thing we have to understand about God's wrath is we deserve it, church. But that is, that is for us, that a just, right, honorable, good God cannot not punish sin. 
And if we've all rebelled, if we've all chosen to worship the creature over the creator, that is what we deserve. But look back at Romans 19, 119 for me, because the second thing we see through this text is that it's not desired. I think this is where some of the more uh, fundamental churches that just want to preach God's wrath all the time, they really forget this part of Romans. That God's wrath is not desired. We'll pick it up in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly, per- clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So he's longing for us to know him. That he has made his attributes clearly known to all men. That he does not will that wrath should take place. So there's this, there's this idea that, that as we're teaching through attributes, that wrath is a distinct attribute of God. But what we see through Scripture is it's a secondary attribute. That God is love is a true statement. That's who he is. That's how he operates. But God is not wrath. Are we tracking? That is a secondary attribute built into the fact that God is love because he desires that all men would be saved. I mean, it's very clear. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So before sin entered in the world, before man went south and sin, was there wrath? No, that's not in the character and nature of who God is. It's a secondary attribute because of man's sin. That is where we now land. I mean, we see this, perfect, this, this picture perfectly in Luke when Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and he sees Jerusalem and he sits down and weeps over them because he knows and he says wrath is coming for them. Jerusalem will be destroyed. But he doesn't gain any pleasure in that. He sits there and weeps over that fact. That he does not desire wrath, but in his character, in his nature, in his just God, he has to. He has to punish sin. There has to be wrath out of his love. Again, D.A. Carson puts it this way. God responds to me in wrath because of my sin. But God responds to me in love because that's who he is. I think this is where we start seeing the disconnect between the Old and New Testament idea of wrath. Because it's true, in in the Old Testament, wrath is mentioned 580 times. So it is a huge nature of wrath within the Old Testament. And we see it, and we read about it. We're going to, this fall, we're going to start preaching through Joshua, and we're going to see it all over the place, of all the bloodshed that took place. So we see clearly God's wrath spilt all through the Old Testament, but we get to the New Testament and go, "But, but Jesus is loving. There's no wrath there. So we start to see this disconnect of Old Testament, New Testament, that it seems like the Old Testament God loves it. He wants wrath. He's constantly pouring it out. But the New Testament God is is a little different. And what we'll see here in a second, the difference is the object of his wrath changes. And that's what makes our God good. But we can't say, I mean, we could go through Jeremiah and Romans and Revelation and Joshua and Genesis and Ephesians. We could see God's wrath poured out everywhere. But the object of that wrath changes. The other thing that I think we miss out, I was having breakfast with Dylan, who's uh, not here. I don't know where he is. Y'all can make fun of him later. Uh, Dylan, I'm calling you out over podcast. Get here. So having breakfast with Dylan the other week, and and he made this point, which I've never really noticed, but when you read through Old Testament, God is saying, in seven years, in 40 years, in 50 years, in 100 years, 
Well, he never says in two weeks, in three weeks, in a month, right? So we're this instant gratification. We want it and we want it now. How dare I wait for a month for this product? Amazon shipping has ruined all of us. If you have to order something outside of Amazon, it feels like you're going to die before the package gets there because it's seven days. Oh, my goodness, right? I do the same thing. I'm not making fun of anyone. But what we see in the Old Testament, I think we need to carry into If we don't see God's wrath right now, that doesn't mean it's not growing. So the Old Testament, we can read about thousands of years and see how his wrath is poured out over thousands of years. But even though we don't see it right now, church, let us not make the mistake that it's not growing. I mean, if you have kids or you've been around kids, we all know that this is a parenting scheme that we love to enjoy. Hey, don't do that. And they ignore us, and what do we do? We could stop it or we sit back and let them pull the TV on their head, right? And I always say that and that never makes sense because everyone's like, but the TV's mounted above the fireplace. You don't remember the old school TVs that sat on the ground? There's a generation gap. I should come up with a better, (laughs) I digress, right? But that's a parenting thing. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you, but I'm going to let you figure it out on your own. And this is what Romans clearly teaching us, that, that he's going to give it over to our desires. He's going to let this wrath grow and build in us. So since we don't see it right now or in the next week or the next month, let us not even for a second think that God's wrath doesn't exist because we don't presently see it. Romans 1.28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So God's going to give us over to our wrath. We are apart from Christ. He's, he's going to let us run with that. But let us not think for a second that his wrath is not growing, is not building for us, because sin must be punished. Another thing I just want to put a quick pin in, because I think there's a, there's a big difference here, especially with what we see around the world, is that God's wrath is his prerogative, not ours. And I think we need to really distinguish that from a global spectrum, but also here in our lives in Dahlonega. Because we see, I mean, that's one of the main things that separates us from radical Islam to us, is they think it's their responsibility to pour out God's wrath on mankind. But we clearly see through the teachings of Scripture, that is not our responsibility, that vengeance is from the Lord. But even on a micro scale, even right here now, how do we treat our neighbors. Flip just a few chapters over to Romans 12. Because Paul's going to give us a very clear instructions on what what wrath we should pour out on. And just as you're flipping up, I don't like this. I would, I've joked around about, have y'all ever, did y'all ever watch the show Amish Mafia? Do y'all remember that show? I want to start like a pastor's mafia that just goes in and, and handles sin quietly and then leaves. So I wish vengeance was from me, but Romans 12 is probably a good verse for me to memorize. Romans 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So church, even though this wrath is a real idea, it's the Lord, it's not ours. We have no right to play this card. We have no right to return evil for evil because this is the wrath of God. 
We are to turn the other cheek. We are to serve. Jesus is very clear what to do with the Roman soldiers. You pick up their guard and you take it for them. If anything is brought against us, we do not return evil with evil. We return evil with good. Because wrath is not ours to give. So this should kind of separate us. Again, going to the more fundamental style that people have been burnt by wrath. One of the things is because people hide behind wrath just to be jerks. I mean, just to be angry with everyone. Oh, God's wrath is going to get you. Yeah, God's wrath is. You don't have to. Stop, chill out with this. We have to love. And, and we'll see here in a second why this love matters. Now, the last flip. Go back to Romans 5. <clears throat> because we're going to see here where this idea of wrath turns and where the balance begins for us, especially as believers. Romans chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us while they were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So the chronologicalness of this matters. Because we see Romans 1, he starts out with the wrath of God. But by the time we get to Romans 5, he goes, "But, but we made a way. That God, in his love, made a way to save you from wrath. And we can't separate these two. That God has become the wrath for us through Christ. So as we preach the wrath of God, as we, as we say, hey, listen, you were sinners before and angry. God, you have to justify yourself. You have to rationalize this. You have to fix this. Oh, you can't. There's nothing you can do. There's no way you can save yourself from the just God. What then do you do? This pushes us to Christ, that he was the way for us. Again, going back to the Old Testament, have you ever noticed how gruesome and disgusting the truth of the sacrifices are? I mean, when you look, especially Leviticus, here's how you make animal sacrifices for your sin. It isn't just, oh, go let them in the wilderness and forget about it. It isn't like, oh, you know, walk back a hundred paces and then like just kind of lob some rocks until they die. No, it's put them on the altar, lift their head up, slit their throat until the blood just splashes over everyone. It is a grossome, disgusting way to make a sacrifice. But then we fast forward to the New Testament, what do we see? I mean, this scripture clearly teaches when the fullness of time had come, that's when they sent Christ. Do you know part of that? It's because the Roman soldiers could do whatever they wanted. So the Roman soldiers could literally beat Jesus within inches of his life and then pick him up and take him to the cross. That there was no accident in the way that Christ died. That we see through the Old Testament sacrifices, we see through the bloody pulp of Jesus Christ, it was beat without, that no one could recognize him. We see how much God hates sin, his wrath poured out on man. So there's a purpose behind the disgusting details of how sacrifices should be done. There's a purpose behind the details of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's death and beatings. There's a purpose behind it because that is God's wrath poured out. So as we think through this, as believers, we worship like crazy because that was our wrath. 
that Jesus died in our place. So the wrath that we deserved was put onto the faultless lamb. The wrath that we deserved, we can clearly study scripture and read scripture and go, every bit of that wrath that was poured out on Jesus was mine. But as Paul would say in Romans, but it's not anymore. That, that debt has been paid in full. So we sing, we worship, we rejoice because we, we have no wrath. Now listen, we have consequences to sin. Let's be really clear here. That there's going to be consequences to our sin. But that does not mean God's wrath is poured out on us. All of that wrath was poured out on Christ. So we wrestle with that. We think on that. But we have to understand too that God's wrath is out of his character, his love. Now, as I've been writing this sermon and praying and preparing and thinking, this just rattles my brain. That if we want to see God's wrath, we look at the cross. But if we see God's love, we look at the cross. So where these two things intersect is both on the cross. That we can clearly see his wrath poured out, but we can clearly see his love for us. So this is where we start talking about God's love is second, or God's love is primary, his wrath is secondary, and we clearly see this taught in Scripture. That his love for us outweighs his wrath of sin, because if he didn't, then Christ would not have come. If he didn't, then we would still be a product of our sin. We'd still be unrighteous, and there's no hope, there's no way for us to save ourselves. But because of his love outweighing his wrath, he made a way when there was no way. So when we start talking, we start preaching, we start dreaming about the wrath of God, when we preach this, we have to keep these two in balance. We can't say, you're all sinners, you're all going to hell, forget about it, get out of here. Have a great afternoon. Go make butter. We can't just dismiss people like that. Because that's only half of the story. There's a reality here that even though, yes, we all deserve God's wrath, the reality is he made a way when there was no way. And so I think here's where people kind of justify this. Here's the, the phrase that you may hear, that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Have you all heard this before? And I think what people are doing in their best laid efforts is going, okay, how do, how do these two things actually work together? So we're trying to put our, our natural theology into what we think Scripture says. But Psalm 5 is clear that God hates all who do evil. So we cannot separate these two out. We just have to enjoy in the marination of those two together. Does God have wrath for all who do evil? Yes and amen. But has God made a way and poured his wrath on his son? Yes and amen. Those two truths that seem contradictory are actually one and the same. And we worship and we marvel and we rejoice in that. That we know that we deserve all of God's wrath. But because of what Christ did on the cross, we don't have to. We are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. So what does this mean for us today? We cannot leave this place and act like God's wrath isn't real and eternal punishment isn't real and that all of our friends that are apart from Christ are just going to end up in heaven with us at the end. That would be an unjust act of God. So when we think through, when we pray for our neighbors, when we pray for our friends, when we think about the lost around us, we have to understand that God's wrath is real, just, and deserved. And it should change the way we view them. It should, it should just break our hearts for those around us. That there is a real reality that hell is coming for those around us that are apart from Christ. 
And if you're in here this morning and, and you've never followed Christ, you've never been regenerated by the Spirit, hell is a real place and it's coming for you. And God's wrath is deserved and it's right because he is a just God. So it should put some fervency in our hearts. Do we talk about the 26,000 within a 20-minute drive of right here that have no relationship with Jesus? Those aren't just numbers and figures and things we talk about. That's a reality for every 26,000 of those, that wrath is growing for them. So what then do we do as a church? That's it. Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, we go and make disciples. We are witnesses of Christ. And what are we preaching? Christ and Christ crucified. The wrath that you deserve has been paid Place your hope, place your trust, place your faith in Christ. But for us, we should marvel in our wrath. We should think through and consider our sin. And then we should consider Christ on the cross. I mean, again, I feel like I come back to Ephesians 2 over and over and over again. Because we are all dead. We all deserve sin. or all deserve death. But picking up Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not, this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. The whole story of us can be summed up in these four words. Holiness, sin, wrath, and salvation. So there is a holy God that we have sinned against. And because of that sin, we deserve wrath. But God made a way when there was no way. Just last question. Why would Christ die on the cross if there was no wrath? Why would God send him to suffer and to die if wrath is a made-up idea? That sin didn't have to be paid for. And that church should cause us to go and make disciples and should cause our worship to deepen. As we get ready to take communion in a second, as we're, as we're thinking through, as we're examining our hearts, This is what communion is. This is why the Lord tells us, don't forsake the table, that we take time to consider that that should be us. That that body, that that blood is ours. But Christ in his, or God in his love sent Christ for us. So so what is it? As we close this out, what what is it, church? Do Do we not think that we're bad people? Do we think we're basically good? Do we think that God's wrath shouldn't be feared? Do we ultimately know what Scripture says but think everyone's just going to end up in heaven together? What is it that we're not for, that we're forgetting about the wrath of God? What is it that we are just glancing over? Because yes, we have a wrath for us. And yes, Christ has made that way and covered that wrath for us. So I'm going to pray for us, and then after we pray, we're going to have, we've got a communion back there, communion back there. As baptized believers, we get to go take this and remember what Christ has done, how he's covered the wrath for us. And we get to marvel at the fact that a loving God didn't have to do that. He would be perfect, right, and just for the wrath to be taken in us, but said he made a way when there was no way. So let's pray. Jesus, we are 
humbled this morning at the truths of your gospel. But we know that we deserve sin. We de- because of our sin, we deserve wrath. Father, we must answer for everything that we've done. And although we try so hard to not sin and to be perfect, it never ends well. That there's not enough good in us to stop sinning. And so, Father, as we read about your character and who you are, that a holy God cannot tolerate sin, that sin must be punished. Father, we sit in that, the weightiness of that. That is not an unloving thing for you. That is a just thing for you to do, is to punish sin in which who we are. That we're not good people that occasionally sin. We are sinners that sin constantly. And we enjoy it. But Father, the story doesn't end there. Because of sin, because the wages of sin is death, you had to intervene. You had to do something to rescue us, to redeem us, to reconcile us. Because your wrath was growing towards us. And Father, you did. You did the most unspeakable thing. Is that you sent your son to die for us. The only one that is perfect, the only one that is righteous, the only one that is not sinning, is not sinful. The only one that didn't deserve death died the death for us. So all the wrath that we deserved, all the wrath that was going to be poured out on us, you poured out on your son. Father, and he felt it. He screamed from the cross, why have you forsaken me? He felt every bit of the beating. And he died. That wrath was poured out and that death was real. Father, we know that because of that, you were satisfied. Because of your glory in the redemption of many sons and daughters. When you rescued your son out of that grave, Father, that was redemption for all of us. That we can be here this morning with scripture open, singing praises and worship to you. Because you've saved us from the wrath that we deserved. And so, Father, as we pray, as we consider, as we ponder these truths, would this run to a deeper love for you? deep appreciation for all that you've done for us and all that you've rescued us from. God, because we know what we deserve. But because of you, because of your love for us, you have rescued us and redeemed us. So let us worship, let us sing, let us be burdened for those around us that have no hope, that, that are earning their wrath today. Father, that wrath is going to be eternal separation, eternal punishment, because that's who you are, a good, right, just God. But you've called us to go rescue. 
to be your message of reconciliation. So let us worship you with all that we have, knowing that that death that we deserved has been taken for us. And let us have a new, fresh zeal for those around us that don't have that hope, that don't have a second chance apart from you. Father, let us preach the good news that yes, we deserve wrath. But you took the wrath for us. So as we consider this church, as we pray through this, the communion will be open. We will respond through worship and uh, praise God for all that he has saved us and rescued us from.